The Ipcris file is one of the most significant entries into the spy movie world, and in part two, we will continue to crack the code of the Ipcris file. So let's go. Hi, this is Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com. Join us for each episode as we're cracking the code of spy movies. And don't forget to subscribe to our show. In part two here of the Ipcris file, we're going to look at Harry Palmer's character development. And we're going to look at some of the key scenes in the movie. So let's go. As the movie's going on, we're learning a little bit about Harry Palmer's character here. For instance, in the beginning, he's getting up, ready to get to work and so on. He finds a bracelet in his bed along, <laughs> along with his gun. Yeah, so wait. He's a womanizer, and he sleeps with a gun. Hmm, maybe he isn't the anti-Bond. Yeah, it's okay. There you go. So all this is going on, and the music, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, that music was great. It, he used this, John Barry, this of course. Was... Yeah, John, John Barry did the music. Yeah. He used this instrument called a cymbalin, which is kind of like a, a plucked zither. Oh, okay, yeah. And you, you see that in other movies. So, like, in the heat of the night... Raiders of the Lost Ark, Black Stallion, mm -hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel use this instrument. So it's, it's a very distinctive sounding instrument that they used here. And in fact, Lalo Schifrin used it for several scores of the Mission Impossible TV series. All right. Anyway, the music is good. John Barry, of course, he's always great. And some of the music's weird here, but some of it is really John Barry stuff, and it's terrific. So Harry Palmer here is going to his shift at a stakeout room. That's where he's Got to get up and go. And he shows up there. He's 20 minutes late. Sounds a little familiar, right? <laughs> a Bond-esque. Maybe these agents are so far apart, bonding him. So maybe Harry Palmer is just thinking too much, or maybe he's just having a little too much fun. Who knows? But he's late. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we're finding out a little bit about him. He, he's late occasionally. And I think we'll find out as this goes along, this is one of his things. We also find out he's been assigned, reassigned to this major uh, Dalby's outfit. We don't know why. Probably because he's a good agent, and but he's like Tom said, he, he's a reluctant agent. He's kind of. Well, they had an opening because Taylor got killed, and Taylor so. got killed, and Dalby has him working on the missing Radcliffe case immediately. So he's taking Taylor's place. Who, like you said, was just killed that very morning. We also see the tension between Major Dalby and Colonel Ross and as Dalby they speak. reports to Ross. Right, so... Right, Dalby reports to Ross. And as they're speaking in Dalby's office, Ross says, uh, this kind of sums up their whole relationship, I think. Ross says, I set you up, and you got a very good job for a passed-over major. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> boom! <laughs> right between the eyes on that one. <laughs> yeah. So that was... Now, what, one of the cool things with the scenes with these guys is they're doing them in their offices. And these are Ken Adams sets. Yeah. And when we see Bond, we think of these big elaborate sets yeah. for Bond. Here, they're very emptied out flats mm -hmm. where you're seeing more of the architectural structure of the room that's in it. They're not ornate. They're not super furnished. It's kind of empty. Yeah, kind of a wartime office feel mm -hmm. giving us this grittiness. And this was Ken Adams' design. He wanted it to be more down to earth, have that wartime office feel. Again, they talk about that more in that director's, the director's cut. Yeah. And you'll see more of these things with Palmer, the womanizer end of Palmer, I think. 
all this is going on with Dolby and Ross talking. And meanwhile, Palmer's looking out a window at three women crossing the street, and he smiles like, mm, okay, all right. <laughs> a little closer to Bond than we think, I think, in general. Again, as Dolby and Palmer walk into another room, Palmer is checking out a woman, and he's obvious about it. Everybody knew he was checking her out. Yeah, right. So there you go. And then you know, what's going on here is Dolby's issuing Palmer a Colt 32, and they take his automatic away, which he liked his automatic. Again, this is kind of like Bond losing his Beretta and getting the Walter PPK and Dr. No. So That whole sequence similar. was right out of Bond. Yeah, there you, you go. Them, they're, they're walking through past those munitions cases mm-hmm. and the hand grenades, and then there's that plunger thing, and he has to hit the plunger, and then he gets in this room to go get his gun, and the guy's got a drill, and he starts playing with the drill just like Bond would always do yeah, when he's yeah, in Q's labs. Yeah, Q yelled And then them. he didn't want to give up his gun, but they made him give up his gun. Made him give up the gun. Go yeah. to a different gun than he had. It's exactly like in Dr. No. Yeah, so they go into this briefing, and he's in a room with other agents, and he sits next to the only woman agent that's in there, Jean Court. There were a lot of seats, and he had to walk past her to get into that yeah. seat. And he's sitting there next to her, checking out her legs, so obvious too so okay he's checking out a woman's legs gene courtney and in the briefing we learn of sparrow and blue jay the cover names code names for eric grantby his code name was blue jay and he's one of the main characters in the whole movie so his boss is he, was, ha- he wasn't his boss he was his chief of staff oh yeah his chief of staff right his chief of staff is house martin right house martin right That's his house code martin. name right yeah. So we, we see more character traits revealed, which is kind of fun because it's the first time we're seeing Harry Palmer. Lots of paperwork he has on his desk. And the, the woman who's unmoney penny like is, Alice. Alice is telling him. Alice is the like, only woman he doesn't hit on in this movie. Yeah. And <laughs> there's, with, with reason, I think, he has a cigarette hanging out of her lips the whole time, all the time she's talking. And it's just not good. Anyway, he's got a lot of paperwork. He's got to file all these reports every time he makes an inquiry and so on. He's like, oh, this is not... And all of these reports have these nu- these numbers. Uh, a letter and a number yeah. associated with them. It reminded me of the TPS reports in Office Space. Yeah, right. It's if you like, remember that movie. He's like, eh, I'm an action guy. You know, I don't, I don't like all this paperwork stuff. He's a man of action. So, and he, he proves it by following up on the lead for Grantby before any of the other agents assigned to the case do and he meets him he confronts him he's he's in on grampy already his first time out while these other agents like nah we didn't we didn't find anything so it's like okay so he is good at that paperwork stuff no there's another character kind of thing and after the grampy encounter which he does quickly he's back at his apartment and something looks a little suspicious here he enters with, with a drawn gun so something's weird and the woman agent gene courtney's there checking up on him so he's like okay you looked at everything so you know where the whiskey is go fix us a couple of whiskeys this scene actually had a lot of that there's the one shot in this scene where they're looking through a keyhole yeah that's true yeah and Sidney Fury talks about how important that scene was and how tough it was how how tough it was to do but how something similar has been copied in other movies yeah from that, he's thinking he was the first one to do something like that. I don't know if he was or not. Yeah, well, I don't know but either. He claims he was, but it, that it was then mimicked or... Yeah, they tried all kinds of things, he said, and they finally had a, 
a cardboard cutout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looked like a keyhole or whatever. Anyway, this is a great scene. He's there with Gene Courtney, and he's, hey, go go get us a couple of whiskeys, put on some music, uh, Mozart, music to cook by. and Well, that's because he cooks. He's going to cook her the best meal she's ever had, he said. Yeah. And so one of his traits is he's into food. Yes. He's into cooking. Yeah. In fact, in the title sequence, there's a shot where they're cracking eggs one-handed. There's two eggs, they crack one-handed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually Len Dayton who wrote the novels yeah. doing that because they Michael Caine couldn't master that skill. Yeah, yeah. Was, in the yeah. short of time, amount of time they had to train him on it. That's funny. So I was like, okay, here they are in his flat. And, and he's like, hey, so what are you going to tell Dalby in your L101 report? And she says uh, that you like girls. Palmer says, well, you got that right. <laughs> and she says, you're not a tearaway. You like books. You like music and cooking and so on. And he says, I like birds best. Now, it was interesting after this movie came out with his horn run glasses yeah. with his cooking yeah there were articles and stuff where people were saying they thought yes. he, the character was gay yeah well, which was it, i mean today you wouldn't think twice yeah at the time okay. in the mid 60s yeah but now you know you're but then he's such a womanizer yes it, it doesn't make sense yeah so that's that's what her report's going to be hey you like girls and uh he says, yeah, I, I, I like, like birds, birds best. best. Yeah. All right. So afterwards, he gets a call from Scotland Yard. Yeah. Because he had used he had used somebody there to get some information about Grampy. And he finds out the guy they had picked up at a suitcase full of electronics. Yeah. By the time Harry gets there, he'd been killed, and this was House Martin, by someone posing as Harry. Mm-hmm. So Palmer kind of figures things out and ends up going to a disused warehouse. And he does this all on his own actually says, yeah, I've got this clearance to do this, which he didn't really have. Yeah. And an army of agents swoop in because maybe Radcliffe's there. Mm-hmm. That's what he thinks. Palmer, he had no authority to do this. And that's the kind of agent that Palmer is. I'm just going to, this is what I think is there. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go into that warehouse because I think it's the right move. Remember, Ross described him as <laughs> insubordinate, insolent, and a trickster. Yeah. Perhaps with criminal tendencies. Yeah. So. No, I mean, I, I love that. He's a, he's a man of action. It's like, it kind of reminds me of Yoda. kind of reminds me of Yoda from Star Wars. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> this is how Palmer is every minute in the movie. It's do or do not. <laughs> there is no try. <laughs> this is where Palmer finds that tape we talked about earlier. They bring that into the headquarters and they hear this screeching noise. Mm-hmm. And then Chino actually creates a file because everything has to have a file. Yes. And right. he labels it the Ipcrest file. Yep. And on the file, it actually said 10-I.D. So it, the file had a number associated with it as well, in keeping with the bureaucracy that yeah. Harry was trying to avoid. Yeah. And they're trying to make sense of the screeching sounds and so on. So again, we're learning more and more about Harry. All right. So we see a little more character revealed here at the supermarket where Harry Palmer runs into Ross and Palmer is selecting champignon mushrooms more expensive and Ross points out hey you're paying for the French label and there's cheaper ones down here and Palmer retorts that champignon have a better flavor it's not just the price so okay. Ray like feel yeah so he's kind of a gourmet of sorts this scene though actually cracked me up because it was, it was interesting the way they actually dealt with this because it told me two things about Ross and about 
British life, I think, in the mid-60s. Okay. It shows class differences. Ross makes a comment, I don't really care for these American shopping methods. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. One has to move with the times, I suppose. So I, I think that was showing a little class distinction between the two. Then. Well, I mean, in London. like in Italy, they go to the butcher for meat. They go to the greengrocer for vegetables and so on. That That's what he meant. He didn't like the concept of the supermarket thing. He liked the, hey, I'm going to go get my stuff here. And I'm going to get this there. I'm going to get this particular product. Yeah, but Tesco stuff. had been around for a long time. Yeah, so but not, he didn't use them. It just confused me, but let's go on. Yeah. Why was I Ross mean, there, Dan? Why was <laughs> Ross in the supermarket? Yeah, now, Ross wasn't there shopping because that's, not his thing. He doesn't like that kind of supermarket thing, right? So he wants Palmer to microfilm the Epcros file and give it to him and not tell Dalby about it. Or he threatens, yeah, you may end up back in prison. Palmer confirms nothing at this moment. So doesn't confirm whether he will do it or won't do it. But he's looking at him like, oh, man. And back at his apartment, Jean Courtney's there. And she sees the champignon mushrooms that he just bought. And she says, nothing but the best for our Palmer. <laughs> I love it. It's a great little line. So it's a nice scene later with the glasses, as we had mentioned before, and her consent with the glasses getting taken off. <laughs> so the process is unfolding. Dalby and Palmer are in a park listening to the concert. Grantby is meeting Dalby there, and arrangements are being made to buy back Radcliffe. Yeah. Very solid scene. The man with the tape glasses is kind of watching in the background. Who is that guy? Again. And Palmer eventually gets up and he leaves. He, he's really his own kind of well, guy. He leaves while they're playing Mozart, and he had said he, he likes really Mozart. was more into Mozart. Yeah, right. And that's when he leaves. So it was kind of a funny moment. Starts playing it. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I, I marched to my own drum <laughs> concert. <laughs> and uh, anyway, there's a cool scene there. Uh, we talked about all these shots through things. There's a shot through crashing symbols, <laughs> which is a great shot. That's a beautiful one. So watch for that one. That's fun. Or a gimmicky shot, depending how you want to look at it. Yeah, that. a good one. <laughs> I think it's a great one. I thought it was great. So. As this progresses, there's an exchange in an underground parking garage. Of course, they're trying to get back Radcliffe as they were just set up. So there's this exchange in the underground parking garage with great lighting from the opposing headlights of the well, cars. Well, this is what they just set up during the marching band concert yeah, with Grampy. To get Radcliffe. was this exchange to get Radcliffe. Yeah, to get Radcliffe back. Yeah. And there's money exchanged. The bad guys are going to get the money and they're going to get Radcliffe back. So there's a nice close-up of the man who's counting the money. He looks very efficient going through the piles of money. And he's very efficient because they actually hired a bank teller to go flip through the money. So that, that was actually... Yeah, you see, there's a different actor, but then when they do the close-up of the hands, yeah. it's the bank teller. Yeah. And the exchange is made. The doctor's examining Radcliffe. He's like, okay, yeah, boom. They take Radcliffe. They take the money and the guys leave with the money. But then there's gunfire. And... Our man, Palmer, jumps into action and machine guns down this guy. <laughs> Turns out it's the guy with the tape on his glasses. And there's some, here there's some great John Barry music playing. And very, very solid, good music. And good camera work, too. As Dalby examines the dead guy that shot, he's like, well, great. You just killed an American agent. 
Yeah, congratulations, Palmer. Yeah. You just killed an American agent. Yeah. I love that line. Yeah. Anyway, they got Radcliffe now. The guy with the thick glasses is dead. So Palmer's assigned to keep an eye on Radcliffe now that they've got him back. And it becomes apparent after another person is following them that Radcliffe is not really himself. He's going to do this lecture. His scientific abilities are hindered, as is evidence at the lecture where he's going to talk about the proto-proton scattering device. Now, that- there, there were two things about this that I absolutely love this lecture. Okay. Right? The first thing is Palmer's sitting there and he takes his glasses off to clean them. Yeah. And the room is blurry. Uh-huh. And he kind of focuses in. There's one black guy in the room. He focuses in on the guy who's got the pipe. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's been following him. Yeah. He puts the glasses on and everything becomes clear. Yeah. But then the other thing that I love about it is I like you that. mentioned this proton scattering device. Dan, you know me. I'm going to look up what the heck. You didn't look is. that up, did you? Yeah. And he was talking about Mison production. Okay. So what is a proton scattering device and Mison's? All right. So I went to Wikipedia to figure this out. All right. So. <laughs> In particle physics, mesons are hydrotic subatomic particles composed of one quark and one antiquark bound together by strong interactions. Because mesons are composed of quark subparticles, they have a meaningful physical size. Oh. A d- diameter of roughly one uh, uh, yeah. fem- femtometer? I, uh, I don't that, even know what you're talking about. Which is about, about. <laughs> 1.2 times the size of a okay. proton. All right. All right. All right. Uh, I'll stop. For all you scientists out there, there you go. Tom's done a little research for you. And... Proton scattering and mesons that he talks about are real things. All right. So. All right. Tom could give a lecture on this now. It's just nice. No, I'm reading out of Wikipedia can't. right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, there is this brain drain concept going on here, and what Ross and Dalby were thinking is true, that, hey, there is a scientific brain drain. So Dalby and Ross meet, and Dalby says, hey, the Americans have put a tail on Palmer. If he's clean, he hasn't got anything to worry about. Ross says, but hey, what if he's not? Because we don't really know what's going on with Palmer, really, or Dalby or Ross. So Ross says, and what if he's not? The Americans will take care of him and save us a lot of bother. Ross says that. Whoa. You know, we're thinking all along, kind of. Hey, Ross is kind of on Palmer's side. This doesn't sound like it. This doesn't sound like it. Now, there's another tie-in at this scene to another Bond movie. And again, I got this from the 00 files. At the beginning of this scene, they're walking into the park, and you hear a marching band in the background, and they're playing the song, The British Grenadiers March. Uh-huh. That is the same march that you hear in Diamonds Are Forever when they're in Blofeld's office in the, in the computer room on the oil rig okay. in Diamonds Are Forever, and they've got the they play the marching song. It's the exact same song that they play here. So there's a tie-in between here okay. and something in Diamonds Are Forever. Anyway, All right. I owe the Double O Files credit for that one. All right, cool. Yeah, the guys are fun. All right, so anyway, this black guy that we mentioned that you said he was kind of taking his glasses off, there he is in the lecture hall. He's always watching Palmer. As he told him, I'm going to watch you. And if you're clean, you're fine. If you're not, I'll kill you. So black guy still watching as Palmer and Jacques Carswell are in the office. Yeah, he's standing on the street looking up at a window. Yeah. And Carswell shows Palmer a book. Induction of Psychoneuroses by Conditioned Reflex Under Stress. Palmer says, what does that mean? 
And Carswell says, it means I know why 17 scientists cease to function. Now, this acronym that he pulls out here should have been IPCRUS. He could have still called it IPCRUS, not IPCRES. Yeah. When you actually look at that, and he's highlighting, underlining what these words are, it's like, this is not making any sense to me at all, that that's how you would come up with that acronym. Yeah. Induction of psychoneuroses by conditioned reflex under stress. <laughs> That's how it goes. Anyway, that's it, Chris. But how many acronyms do that kind of stuff? NASA does that all the time with the naming things and everything else. So, yeah, yeah there's there's one other thing in that usual. scene, Dan. When he points it out, and he's holding the book up, and he highlights the thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's a cut, and he's talking about these 17 scientists. Yeah. And he flips through these Hollerith cards. Now, yeah. most people probably don't know what he was looking at there. But the Hollerith cards were the computer punch cards. That's what so they like had. When I, learned, when I learned the computer industry stuff, I learned on punch cards. Yeah, that's what they had. I'm then. old. They had them there. But it was a weird cut because it was, then he's back to holding the book the exact same way. Yeah. But as a, as a guy who grew up with punch cards, I really appreciated seeing those again. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's kind of neat because now we know what IPCRESS stands for. And kind of chills run up your spine a little bit. It's like, oh, this, this is something. And eventually, Carswell has to go somewhere. He wants to go check something out. And he's taking Palmer's car. And that's never a good thing. He's killed. Yes. And the Ipcris book kind of disappears from Palmer's desk. And we're all wondering, what the hell is going on here? Well, yeah, because Palmer locks this thing up and leaves the room and then comes back in. After he gone. finds out that Carswell's been killed, obviously, mm. they, they killed Carswell thinking it was Palmer because it was Palmer's car. Yeah. And so there's, there's again, additional layers of the mystery here, which is intriguing, sucking you into the movie even more. So back at his apartment, we discover that the black American agent is dead. And well, he, he, go, he goes back to his apartment to get his stuff because since they thought it was him, Gene says, come stay at my place yeah. because they're after you. Yeah. It's another great camera shot. One I really appreciated here. Through the top of a light, like shooting from the ceiling down through the shade of the light, and you see the dead black American agent lying on the floor in Palmer's flat. Whoa. So now you're thinking, was this a setup? Like the story would go, hey, Palmer killed another American agent since he killed the taped glasses guy already. And now they killed Palmer because they shot him in the car. Oh. And was it set up to look like that? So you can see that this is now got Palmer thinking, what is this? And what is actually going on here? Right, so Palmer ends up telling Dalby about what happened. Yeah. And that maybe Ross is the guy framing him because he had asked for the microfilm of the Ipcrest file. So he tells him that. Mm -hmm. And then he gets back to Gene Courtney's flat. And as he's leaving, they kiss and he says, see ya. And mm -hmm. she immediately picks up the phone and calls Ross. Yeah, now we're suspicious of her. Is it what she'd been doing solely at Ross's direction? Yeah, right. They do so a then, great job of that. Yeah, so then Palmer goes to the train station because you have to have a train in a spy movie. Yeah, and there was one already <laughs> in the beginning, the very beginning. Yeah, that's so. true. It opens with the, with yeah. the train. So he goes to the train. Yeah. And it was really funny because I'm watching this the first time through. So as he, as he gets on this train, I'm thinking... Okay, this is the second train scene. We haven't seen a fight on a train, right? Radcliffe disappears, but there was not a fight in train. No. Every spy movie that's got a train, there's a fight or at least a chase on a train. Yeah. 
And in this one, there really is no fight. I mean, he gets, some guy comes in with a gun and takes him off the train, but there's not a big fight. No. And Fury in his director's commentary talks about the fact that he didn't want to have any fights in this movie. In fact, there's only one fight and it's really lame, but some guy at Universal, Ernie Nibb, told Fury, you've got to have a fight in this. So he filmed that really lame fight scene yeah, that was on the steps outside scene. of Albert Hall. Yeah. But he totally missed an opportunity of what could have been a short fight in the train, which would be keeping the, the way most spy movies that have a train yeah. have a fight or at least a chase. All right. So, so on the train, Palmer gets abducted and Grantby is behind it. So he's imprisoned. And Grantby says they're in Albania. Yeah, now this actually is something that, that Wesley Britton talks about in the Beyond Bond. Okay. Because he says they're in Albania, but they're not in Albania. No, they're in they're London. Not. And he talks about how that was a common ruse in the Mission Impossible TV series as well. Absolutely. And in fact, even in Mission Impossible 1, it opens with that. I love that. Where that guy, where the give, guy gives up the name Medev, Medviv, yeah. whatever it was. Yes, right. Where the guy gives up that name. And then they turn and open, and they really were kind of almost at a set. Yeah, they that they built to to get this guy to give up the, the name. walls and yeah, yeah, that's great. So I love that. So stuff. It's, a, it's definitely an influence there. Yeah, and so here he he does say he's in Albania, so they're depriving him of food and sleep, and they're going to perform these treatments on him. It's a grim scene, tough torture, and Palmer's resisting being brainwashed and you don't know if they got to him or not because they've been conditioning him and he's trying to hold off the conditioning through pain causing pain he has a nail he found from the his cell and he's cutting his hand with it and stuff like that to try to distract his brain that's right to keep keep the brainwashing from happening yeah now this is one of those those things i said earlier we have to be careful we pay attention to the dates of things so there's this whole brainwashing thing that happens, and that's what happened to Radcliffe as well. Yeah. So he was brainwashed. Yes. Here, they're trying to brainwash Palmer. Now, the book, The Ipcrest File, came out in 1962. The next year is when Ian Fleming came out with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, yeah. which has Blofeld brainwashing, that same repetitive, almost hypnosis talking, giving the guidance as to what they're supposed to do. It was angels in On Her Majesty's yeah. Secret Service. Yeah. Boy, did Fleming get that idea from, from Dayton's book here? It sure has the same kind of feel to it. Who knows? But there was a lot of that stuff going on in the real world, and it yeah. was becoming, some of that was leaking out. So Palmer eventually escapes, overpowering the two guards who were coming in to get him because they wanted to terrorize him and brainwash him. Every time he fell asleep, they were going to go get him and take out. So he's, he's pretending he's sleeping. Two guards go in, bam gets the better of him and he escapes he calls Dalby immediately and he tells him that he got out and then there's some interaction going on with Dalby and someone else in the room we're not going to say who Dalby tells Palmer to call Ross and to meet him at the warehouse and Dalby says I'll meet you there too Palmer so we don't yeah, know so, so we're going to get we're going to end up with Palmer Ross and Dalby all at the warehouse yes and then Dalby says something to Palmer to make sure that he understands the message that hey you got to get to the warehouse and we're not going to say exactly what he says here so because yeah, we don't want to give it away if you haven't seen the movie we've told you a lot but there's a great ending to this 
that we don't want to we don't want to blow for you yeah and the, the warehouse scene where they eventually do meet and we don't know if other agents are going to be there too because at one point Dolby says something about other agents going there as well so we don't know what, exactly what's going to happen at the warehouse but the warehouse scene is great it's great spy stuff from the yes. setting the lighting the sound the music Dolby's there Palmer's there and Ross is there and as each of the characters is standing under lights or is being lit by a certain method it's eerie and intriguing and scary and it's a great great scene yeah for our last scene they really did a great job with it the suspense is there again we're not going to give it away the ending here but yeah. they really did a great great job with this yeah and it, the cool thing to me is this was michael kane's first starring role kind of like bond he was in you know, zulu already wasn't he he was in it but he wasn't really yeah, a, he star wasn't a star he wasn't a star of it i guess so he's the he's the leading man here and just kind of like connery and bond but i'll tell you his in this scene he did a great job fantastic he did a great job throughout the entire movie yeah, and actually michael kane is one of my favorite actors of all time he's just good in everything he does and he's that kind of guy and that kind of an actor he's just terrific so and if you're a fan of the kingsman even today he's still acting yeah we're at the end of the film this is a great spot to wrap up our ipcris file decoding as a spy movie fan you must see this classic either for the first time or re-watch it because it is one of the best out there and michael kane is superb as he always is. It offers intrigue, espionage at its roots, and a complicated but great storyline. Watch oh, I agree. I could deal with the less of the trickery on the camera shots, yeah. but that's my bias. But uh, and still, I recommend the movie highly. There you go. This has been Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. From SpyMovieNavigator.com. Please subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, right now. Have a movie in mind we should cover? Tell us about it on Twitter at, at @spynavigator. And if you're listening now, send us a message on Twitter and tell us where you're listening from. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Talk to you next time.